everybody and welcome to the first off-season edition of Socks on Tap. I am Tony Marchese. I'm joined today by NWI Steve and we are going to dissect a little bit of surprising news. But before we do that, Steve, how you doing? Hey yo, Tony. I'm doing good, man. This is uh, a very surprising and a very welcome day for the White Sox fan base. It is. It, it's, uh, we'll get into all the nitty-gritty details, but before we do that, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all of your Chicago sports literature podcasting needs, as our guy Buzz would say. Steve, that bit of news that we're going to get into here, did you have any inclination before we, before we go any farther, did you have any inclination that you were going to wake up today, this morning, and this is what we would see from the White Sox front office? I did not. I had no inclination of it whatsoever. Um, you know, I'd been kind of hearing some rumblings over the last couple of weeks that um, the big news might be Don Cooper stepping down as the pitching coach and maybe transitioning into an advisory type role. And so that's honestly what I was expecting to, to see happen here. Never in a million years did I think that the White Sox were going to fire? Because, yes, they fired Rick Renteria. They absolutely did, and they used the term mutually part ways, but that is normally corporate speak, for for those who, who don't know. That is normally corporate speak for you fired. Yeah, there, there's no question about it, and it's been kind of funny seeing, you know, David Haw and some of the other um, people who work for the uh, Cubby newspaper blasting Han for, for those terms and saying that the White Sox organization did Rick Renteria dirty when you can literally go back just uh, five years ago or, or six years ago and look at the headlines that they wrote when he got renteria by the Cubs. You know, I, I think renteria is now going to be a term that's going to get submitted to the English Oxford Dictionary here. Um, But it's just amazing the contrast and the way that this whole thing is being presented um, just a couple of years apart. Yeah, and it's it's painfully obvious what the White Sox are trying to do here. It's, It's very painfully obvious. And there's been so much that we've seen over the last few hours. And first off, I'm still speechless that this took place because when we think about White Sox stereotypes and we talk about terms we use on this show, like that's so White Sox and just Don Cooper being here seemingly forever. I mean, I can't even remember a time in my lifetime 
uh, you know, because I was I was so young when Cooper was hired. Uh, I, I, I mean, eighteen years. I mean, that's longer than most marriages, Steve. I mean, Tony, Tony, let me ask you this question: Can you tell me who was the White Sox pitching coach before Don Cooper? You know, I looked up this little bit of information probably about an hour ago, and the name already slipped my mind because it's that memorable. Nardi Contreras. Yeah, there you go. I mean, this is, for for all the White Sox stereotypes that we've seen, you know, the the loyalty that they've had to members of the front office and the coaching staff and, and former players and all of that stuff today was like that first real sense or inclination that they are no longer going down that road, Steve. This is the, the impact of these decisions. I think the Don Cooper thing means a lot more than the Renteria thing just because of the history of this organization. But to see them clean house almost outside of the hitting coach and Frank Menachino, I think he did a pretty, pretty damn good job this year. And, and we'll, we'll get into some of that stuff uh, when we break down the team performances as a whole. But to see them part ways with Renteria and Cooper, that that is, that is very, very significant. And the undertones of the decision can't be dissected enough. And Steve, I'll turn it over to you to kind of dig into some of this stuff. Yeah, look, I, I think the first thing that I have to say about this is this is something that clearly is coming from the top. And we all know who I'm talking about. I find it fascinating that in these uncertain trying times of 2020 in a time of biblical losses all across the sports world that Jerry Reinsdorf in the last couple of months revamped the Bulls front office, allowed them to fire Jim Boylan eating part of his contract while spending money on Billy Donovan, who apparently is a somewhat accomplished professional head coach. I, I don't follow the NBA, so I can't speak to that in, in great detail. And then a couple of months later, follow that up by firing Rick Renteria. And Rick Hahn today, during, during this media session, stating that they are going to be targeting experienced World Series proven championship managers. Did anybody anybody within the White Sox fan base think that this would happen in the year 2020? Because I know I sure as hell didn't. No, and I think that that's that's just this year. For some odd reason, there's something in the air this year, Steve. Nothing has come ordinarily in true fashion for any aspect of life this year. It's just been all over the board, and here we go again. And you bring up a great point when you talk about what Jerry Reinsdorf has done with the Chicago Bulls. Also, not as involved in uh, in, in following the NBA or, or the Bulls organization outside of um, you know the, the ties that we have uh, as an owner in Jerry Reinsdorf to the White Sox. But the, the fact that he is now cleaned up two of his front offices within the same calendar year. And, and, and 
held on and and spent money to fix problems while still paying guys not to be there is so un-Jerry Reinsdorf that you, you, you can't you can't sit here and say that Jerry isn't gunning for this team to be winners next year. It just it really in some ways kind of makes me wonder has Jerry been kidnapped? Is he being held hostage? Because this is so out of the ordinary for him. Is this like a and, weekend at Bernie situation? Right. Has anybody uh, done a health check on Jerry Reinsdorf in the last few months? I, I don't know what I don't know what else to say because you brought up a point, Steve, and you and I uh, briefly talked on the phone uh, right after the presser, and you had said something that that I was thinking as well, and that being, we we come out of this this playoff run, and the the first headlines that run from NBC were all stating the same thing: there's not going to be money to spend this off season. Rick Hahn's going to be tied. You know, the, the, we the, the White Sox and Jerry lost money this season with no fans. And it was almost just setting you up for that same that's so White Sox feeling for this offseason. And that's exactly where I went. I thought to myself, be better than this. You just had your first playoff appearance. Yes, this roster has holes, but the payroll is so flexible right now that you have the ability to go out and add. This team is on the brink. We saw them make it to the playoffs for the first time in what feels like forever. Here we are. And the first little bits of information we're getting are played from the same storylines that we've seen over and over and over again. And it makes you wonder, because as a White Sox fan, when you read stuff that happens in the mainstream media, it, it, it's it's the same playbook over and over. Is Jerry controlling that message? Or are these just play the hits so that we can get some views on this specific article. What the White Sox came out and did today goes directly against what we saw initially released by NBC Sportsnet specifically, and you know exactly which article I'm talking about, Steve. The, are you talking about the one that uh, Han went out of his way to, to praise and, and you know thank the author for dodging the bullets for him, that one? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. we get that. And then out of nowhere, well, we're going to pay Rick Renteria's salary to have him sit on the sidelines while we go out and we find somebody qualified and who's been there and done that to coach these guys through the most important part of the season, and that's the playoffs. And if we want to get into Rick Hahn talking about how the, you know, the, the managerial decisions towards the end or the slump at the end of the season didn't affect this decision, you can make an argument that Rick Hahn's telling the truth there because I think as White Sox fans, there's already been questions as to whether or not Rick Renteria was going to be the guy to bring them to the promised land. But if that wasn't the final nail in the coffin for Rick Renteria, I think everybody here is kidding themselves. And I'll, I'll let you give your take on that. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things there. Look, the, the Cleveland series, you know, the, the pitching decisions within that series were inexcusable. And I've seen, you know, the, the Ricky stands that, that are out there stating that he was just following orders from Han to try to see who he could count on in the postseason and who he couldn't. And I think that's really lame to, to make that excuse because 
Ricky's a guy himself that I can't remember if it was a year or two years ago in a piece from James Vegan in The Athletic. He literally said that he doesn't give a shit if people are going to disagree with his decisions because he's going to make them. He's not always going to look at the numbers, and he's going to do things that the front office and that the fans aren't going to like. And he point blank said he doesn't give a shit. So all these people trying to deflect criticism for him and trying to say that those decisions are handed down to him from Han, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. Take that shit elsewhere. And so, you know, the what we saw, particularly that series in Cleveland, I think that was completely inexcusable to go into that series and, and handle the bullpen the way he did. I know he took a lot of flack for the management of the, of the pitching staff in Game 3 against Oakland. I didn't have as much of an issue with that. I actually think he did the right thing by recognizing that Dane Dunning didn't have it on that particular day. And the plan that they had in place got thrown up in smoke when Garrett Crochet went down. So the only thing that I could kind of nitpick in there was if it were me personally, I would have gone to Matt Foster after Crochet went down instead of Aaron Bummer. But I can partially understand the logic because of the fact you wanted the left-handed pitcher in there um, to attack Oakland's lineup. So I didn't have a tremendous problem with that, but it was the things that led and that proceeded to that game three decision that I had tremendous issues with. Um, You know, and again, I think there's a lot of revisionist history going on by people trying to, for whatever the reason, deflect criticism and deflect blame from him because they want to put it on, they want to put it on Han and I just I find it fascinating that the people that say that Ricky doesn't deserve criticism because he's just you know playing the cards that he's been dealt and that he hasn't been given enough tools to do the job successfully are the same ones that don't realize that well there's somebody above Rick Hahn that ultimately kind of controls the decisions for the entirety of the organization but you know we don't want to let a good narrative go to waste. And that's not to excuse Rick Hahn from blame, because believe me, if it were my organization, Rick Hahn would have lost his job um, after 2015 or 2016. But yeah, that's a, that's another good point. So, you know, you know, it's just, there, there's a, there's a lot of blame to go around here, but I think the, the idea that Rick Renteria somehow should be absolved of, of blame from what is going on with this organization and to think that he is the guy to lead this thing going forward. It just, it boggles my mind. Well, and I just look back to the early days of Rick Renteria's tenure and you brought up some points about him saying things along the lines of he doesn't give a shit, you know, what the analytics say or, you know, he's going to put out his lineup card the way he best feels. And, um, you know, and then we had some some interesting comments come from Steve Stone uh, during the season, which I felt like were Steve Stone almost covering for Renteria when he said, you know, sometimes lineup cards don't exactly come from the manager they come from an analytics department. They come from up top. So we need to stop bitching, for lack of a better term, uh, about Renteria's lineups. Which leads you to believe that you know th- this is coming from somewhere else than, than Renteria, which is a direct contrast to what Renteria had stated himself. Uh, and then today, you've got Steve Stone talking about how he didn't feel that Renteria was the guy to 
to bring them to the promised land. You know, was there tension in this front office? Who who knows? But you've also seen the version of Renteria where he had no qualms about benching a veteran player for lack of hustle, all of a sudden to turn around and completely drop that entire aspect of his managerial style about a year later into this rebuild. Um, it's just, we, it, for me, I saw too many different versions of Rick Renteria. Um, and it's not something that I think is bad. Potentially he was learning from his own mistakes. And I think everybody as a human in their professional careers or in their personal lives has the ability to do that. And whether or not they do, that's, that's up to themselves. So maybe some of what we saw was growth from Rick Renteria, or maybe some of it was the front office stifling what Rick Renteria wanted to do. Either way, there seemed to be a lack of consistency from the statements that we got from Rick Renteria himself to what we've heard from Rick Hahn, to what we've seen to people very close to this team and Steve Stone, uh, some of the beat writers who follow this team around. Uh, each year, it just seemed like there was one head-scratching thing that was said, uh, whether it be by Renteria or somebody about Renteria, where you just kind of th- sit there and think like, wait a second, why was this even said? Um, last year, for example, was the I'm not looking at the record uh, uh, statement from Renteria. There, there was just so many different things that left me scratching my head as a White Sox fan. Like, what is really going on here? Because this does not follow the same narrative. Or if you look at it as a TV show, it's it, the, the story arc is completely broken. We are left with some sort of plot hole because of what was just said, done, uh, or what have you. And here we are left with the pieces to pick up and analyze as White Sox fans. Whereas following other teams, Steve, I don't really feel like I've had those types of moments questioning what the fuck is going on right now. Yeah, Tony, here's something else kind of interesting that that somebody brought up to me earlier today. And, you know, there were a couple of tweets that were sent out during the during the media session. I think this one came from the Sox um, media puppet, Bob Nightingale, who stated that there were several veteran players that felt that Renteria didn't hold the clubhouse accountable, which flies in direct contrast to one of the things that we were always told about Ricky in that he's great in the clubhouse and that he, you know, he has the support of that entire room and that the players are firmly behind him. Well, something ain't right there. And, you know, that, that just, those are two, contrasting viewpoints right there. And then I also found it very interesting that Han went out of his way to mention that he talked to Tim Anderson this morning, something I forgot about up until, up until recently. And it was brought back to my attention. Go back to 2017, 2018, Tim Anderson's a young player, only a couple of years in the league. Renteria benched him on multiple different occasions for, a number of different mental lapses out there in, in, in the field. We'll call them that not running balls out things, things of that nature. Timmy caught the brunt of a lot of that. And as you mentioned, you know, that sort of stuff has really stopped in the last year or so. So to think that Han would call Timmy to get his input on that situation here. And let's, let's be real about this. This is Tim Anderson's team. Okay, Jose Abreu has been here longer, but 
the the language barrier does factor into this, okay? And right or wrong, that that's just a fact. Tim Anderson is the heart and soul, and Tim Anderson is the leader of this team. And I think it's very clear by Hans stating that he talked to Tim this morning that Tim wanted no part of this joker here anymore. Well, you bring that up, and you know I'm thinking back to it too. I mean, obviously, Avi Garcia was the the <laughs> the uh, the number one culprit when it came to Ricky Benchings at one point. Um, and you have to think if you're Tim Anderson and this is your team and as a young player, you were benched repeatedly for your mental mistakes and, and that sets the tone and all of a sudden you see guys come in, Yohan Moncada arrives, uh, Eloy Jimenez arrives, Luis Robert, uh, Nick Madrigal, some of the other names that, that, you know, aren't as prominent as well. And all of a sudden they're treated with a different type of gloves almost it's it's almost like okay these guys can do no wrong however I had to learn from my mistakes why has the consistency stopped if you're Tim Anderson you have to look at that and say what's the difference why did the message change if if you remember back one of the one things that Rick Renteria had said back in those days was I want my team to play solid fundamental baseball and then we look at an example, and, and I know this is easy pickings, but Eloy Jimenez in left field took some terrible routes, had some extreme mental lapses. You saw Jose Abreu this year jokingly sit in a net seemingly to, I don't know, troll Eloy Jimenez by going into the net, which cost the White Sox a base in the game. If we go back a few years ago, Steve, I'm going to ask you this question. Would Rick Renteria bench Jose Abreu because he jumped into the net somewhat jokingly and start laughing, and all of a sudden it cost the Sox a base in, in, in a game. I would venture to say, if if that Rick, if, if you have the Rick Renteria from 2017, he benches Jose Abreu the rest of that game. I disagree with that, and I'll tell you why. Jose Abreu has been the one player consistently that has been immune to any of that Little League nonsense from Ricky. You know, you look at the backup catchers that, that have been brought in. You know, you look at um, Wellington Castillo. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, Omar Narvaez. You know, some of the other guys that were taken out for, for not running balls out. Jose Abreu always got the free pass on that. And there were plenty of instances in 2017, 2018 of Abreu not running out balls and nothing happening to him. So, no, I don't think Jose Abreu would have gotten benched in those, in those circumstances. He's the one guy that always got a free pass on, on all that stuff. There was always a different set of rules for him than, than everybody else. Well said. And I, I, I somewhat agree with you there just because it's Jose Abreu. But I'll, I'll play another aspect into this. How does Tim Anderson feel sitting there at shortstop watching that go on? And everybody else being immune to it, whereas Timmy would be benched immediately. I think it's very, I think Timmy's pissed about it. You know, he's not a guy that is very shy about saying what's on his mind, speaking his piece. I mean, we, we all know this and, you know, this is, 
This is one of the things that is central to the White Sox marketing campaign at this point. And so, again, to me, just to publicly put that out there, that Han called Timmy to talk to him about this today, that really leads me to believe that Timmy wanted him gone and, and made it known. Interesting tidbit. I I would I would love to dive more into that, but we've got to keep moving on along here, Steve. Um, maybe you could write about it. I, I, I could try. You could try. Maybe you could write about it. Yeah, I'll just throw that out there. All right. So moving on a little bit here down the road. We had a bunch of other stuff come out during this presser. But before we get there, I want to talk about where we go from here. What do the White Sox do? Uh, there are some interesting names that are out there on the market right now. And Steve, you kind of prefaced this when you said uh, during the during the media session, Rick Hahn talked about wanting to bring somebody in who has that experience. The world recent World Series experience has been there, led a team to the promised land, totally outside of what we, we feel uh, as, as the norm from, for White Sox fans uh, because we're used to, um, you know, the Robin Venturas of the world and, and former White Sox players. But uh, one interesting tidbit, the White Sox went out of their way, and we've already seen this from uh, some of the blue check marks to uh, the uh, the public here on Twitter note that Ozzie Gian was called this morning specifically and told that he is not in consideration for this managerial position. That's number one. Number two is you've got two guys out there right now as managerial candidates that that come with a little bit of baggage attached to their name. And when I say a little bit of baggage, I mean... A whole fuck ton of baggage. And that's AJ Hinch and Alex Cora. Uh, both of these gentlemen have uh, have been there, done that. Sound exactly like they are the type of person uh, that uh, the White Sox are targeting to uh, hire and fill this vacancy that's left by Rick Renteria. What are your thoughts on all this? Where do we go from here? All right, so I'll take those kind of point by point first, as it relates to Ozzy. Throughout the course of the entire season here in Ozzy's role doing pre and post game for the revamped NBC Sportsnet, Ozzy did not hold back on his criticisms of Renteria, particularly the last two weeks of the season when this team had an opportunity to win a division title. Ozzy and, and Frank, even to, to a lesser extent, really hammered Ricky on a number of his bullpen decisions and, and several of the things that he did on a game-to-game basis. To me, a casual observer, that looks like a guy that was pining for this job back. And he's made no mistake about it that he wants to manage again, that he feels he deserves an opportunity to manage again. And maybe he does. Um, But the fact of the matter is this organization went down that road already. And... I'm personally glad that they're not going down that road again here in this instance. If Detroit wants to hire him, that's, that's fine. You know, if, um, you know, Seattle or, or, or somebody else, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know if Seattle's, you know, Seattle's probably not even going to fire Scott service, but you know, if some, if some other team wants to take a chance on Ozzy, that that's fine. That's great. That I think that ship has sailed here. So I think it was good that they 
put that fire out immediately here today at the, at the start of this whole process, uh, just so that there wasn't any lingering suspicion that that's what they were going to do. Um, because again, I just think a lot of his comments that he made, it's very clear that the guy wants to manage again. Uh, next as it relates to the Houston situation with AJ Hinch and Alex Cora. I find it fascinating that when Ron Gardenhire, uh, stepped away from the Tigers the last week of the season, you know, shortly after they left Chicago for the final time, that. Nightingale and a couple of other people nationally immediately put out that the Tigers were interested in AJ Hinch and Alex Cora. So there's part of me that wonders if the Sox were maybe thinking, maybe we need to make a change, but let's just wait. Let's just play it out and let's see. And then once word gets out that your division rival that's going through a rebuilding process and one that frankly has actually spent like a major market team in the not too distant past has said, hey, these are a couple of guys that we're going to target. If that made the Sox take a step back and say, well, if we're going to do this, we got to do this now because they're here and we can't let them go to Detroit. So that's the first thing. Next, uh, look, obviously the the situation in Houston was a a very bad one where they were cheating and, and they had a very intricate system in place. Now, the one difference that I think exist between the two from looking at all the information that's been out there publicly i personally feel that alex cora and carlos beltran were the two ringleaders on the coaching staff with this whole system and there were a lot of reports and a lot of quotes directly attributed to aj hinch and stories of him destroying computers destroying cameras that they had set up to facilitate this system that they had in place. Now, he has also then gone as far as to saying that he should have done more to stop it. From my standpoint, I think that is a much easier sell to a fan base and to a city than Alex Cora or Carlos Beltran, two guys that have not taken any responsibility for their involvement in it whatsoever, not shown any remorse really what whatsoever for for their roles in the situation hinch you know look you you can say and i've used this analogy a lot that the fish stinks from the head and you know what that that that's true and you know what he should have put a stop to it when when he discovered what was going on he should have done more than just destroying some of the equipment he should have put a complete stop to it there's no denying that the fact of the matter is that in the all or five part or in the all or part of five decades that I've been on this earth, to quote Hawk Harrelson, I've seen the White Sox make the playoffs five times in my life and win one championship. Throughout that time frame, we hear constantly about them wanting guys that are high character guys and wanting guys that are good for the clubhouse and good in the community and just good guys. What has that gotten them? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So at this point, if they have to hire AJ Hinch, who might be a little sleazy, you know, comes with, comes with some baggage to him. If it's going to propel this team to being a consistent winner, then I'm all for it. I'm done with bringing in nice guys and I'm done finishing 
second or third place in this division because that's a guy that has won. And, and I've seen a couple of people talk about his tenure in Arizona not being a particularly good one. And yeah, you know what? That's true. You know, his, his first stint as a manager didn't end so well. There have been a lot of guys that have been successful managers in the major leagues whose first stint as a major league manager did not go well. AJ Hinch would not be alone in, in that in that instance. Um, I mean, look at look at Joe Torre. Look at how many times Joe Torre failed before he got to New York with the Yankees. Look at Bob Melvin. Look at Tony Larusa with with the Sox before he went to the A's and to the Cardinals. It happens. People evolve. More importantly, Hinch comes from an analytical background. He spent time, obviously, in the Arizona and Houston organizations. Those are, you know, Houston, especially being in a very analytically minded organization. He's done time in the scouting departments. He understands modern thought processes. And this is what this team and what this organization needs right now. They need to get caught up to the rest of baseball. They're making progress. This is going to take things to a new level. And I think that's why it's very important that. They look at these two guys in particular. Personally, I, I would rather have Hinch than Cora. Um, you know, I, I just think having been the man, I, I mean, obviously, look, they're both World Series winning champion managers. Um, but to me, I, I just think that the track record with Hinch is longer than, than the one for Cora. And that that's the guy that I would target in all of this. And like I said, you know, yeah, there's going to there's gonna be some baggage. He's going to have to come in here, and he's going to have to publicly apologize and face, you know, some questions from the Cubby paper and guys like Gordon Wittenmeyer trying to, trying to you know, take a dump on him for his role in, in the Astros scandal and everything. Deal with it. Have the press conference. Take the uncomfortable questions, and let's get down to business, and let's go win a division title and beat the Minnesota Twins and Cleveland Indians. Steve, I'm all for everything that you just said right there. However, there's one thing that, that's really pressing on my mind, and, and you know as well as I do the White Sox are signing Trevor Bauer this offseason. How is he going to get along with A.J. Hinch? Oh, boy. You know, I can't wait until he signs somewhere else so I don't have to hear his name anymore. <laughs> I mean, talk about a more perfect scenario for both of those guys to just clear the air, though, in, uh, in the locker room at 35th and Shields. That would be absolutely phenomenal. I just I I couldn't get through this podcast without asking you that question because I know exactly where you stand, and I'm pretty sure anybody that follows you on Twitter knows exactly where you stand uh, with the with the Trevor Bauer thing. I personally wouldn't mind him, uh, you know, uh, starting ball games for the White Sox. I I think that the Sox uh, are not going to be the top bidder for his services. Although we've seen some pretty crazy fucking shit happen. Uh, over the last few months with the White Sox uh, today included. So I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, them them linked to uh, to Trevor Bauer this offseason. But uh, again, um, you know, I, I don't see that more than being anything that, uh, you know, a seat at the table, but, uh, you know, not the, not the last one standing um, at the end of those negotiations. I, I think that there's other starting pitching uh, that the Sox will go after. Um, you can comment on that real quick if you want to, but I don't want to turn this into a, a uh, who are the Sox signing this offseason show because yeah. we've got plenty of time to do that. Yeah. As, as it relates to Bauer, look, I, I wouldn't 
it's not that I'm opposed to him. He would make the Sox a better a better team, certainly. The issue that I have is him saying that his number one criteria in who he's going to select for his next team is going to be someone that's going to allow him to pitch every fourth day. Now, I personally don't know that there's going to be a team in the league that's going to do that. But to me, that's an absolute non-starter because I'm not hijacking the rest of my rotation. I'm not screwing over Lucas Giolito, who I need to get signed to a long-term contract. I'm not hijacking Dallas Keuchel and his routine or Dane Dunning or all these other guys to fit Trevor Bauer, who said he wants to pitch every fourth day and do it on a one-year contract. That's a no-go for me right there. And, you know, it you bring up an interesting point here and, and something that, that I think we need to delve into just a little bit here without going too far off the rails. I'll try to be succinct with this. Whether it's Hinch or Cora that comes in, you know, someone with a World Series championship pedigree as a manager. I don't think they're getting someone of that caliber if the Sox are going to just half-ass it this winter. I don't think any of these guys are coming here if if Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams say, okay, well, we're just we're going to tender Nomar Mazzara a contract. We're going to put him in right field, and we're going to sign Kevin Gaussman, and we're going to hope that Michael Kopech still knows how to pitch, and we're going to hope that Dylan Cease figures it out, and you know we're going to – not bring Alex Colome back. Bringing in a manager and, and the comments that Rick Hahn made today, that leads me to think that this team has to really be laser focused and they realize that they got to go for it this winter here because you don't bring in a manager of that ilk if you're going to half ass this whole winter. I'll supersede that whole thing with the White Sox go out and make a really bad hire at manager and we'll see you know, the exact opposite of what we expect with that one, because that would be so White Sox. But I agree with you on the sense that you don't go out there and do that, get rid of Rick Renteria, and then mail it in the rest of the offseason. If you do actually execute on uh, on bringing in a guy like an A.J. Hinch or a Cora or, I mean, just any of your top-tier managerial um, options that are out there right now are not coming to this team to try and fix Nomar Mazzara next year. They're not coming to this team to try out a closer who's never had that role before. They're not coming to this team to play those games because there are plenty of other teams out there that are searching for a manager where they can step right in, have the pieces to the puzzle already there, and get the job done. So, I, I completely agree with you on that sense. I just don't know, Steve, if the if the history exactly points itself to finishing the job completely. And that's something that I want to see the White Sox do this offseason. I want to see them put everything together. We've gotten the little bits of it. We saw last offseason, we're bringing in Yasmani Grandal. We're signing a veteran in Edwin Encarnacion who didn't pan out. But at the time, you're thinking, okay, I've got a guy who can theoretically go up against Nelson Cruz and hit a ton of bombs. Um, I don't think the short season did Encarnacion any favors. I'm not trying to make excuses. But you, you get these little bits as a White Sox fan over these past few years. You know, you, you see them break the mold and, and sign, you know, Luis Robert to – uh, his deal and, and Eloy Jimenez and bring them up and, and, and break the mold of that service time issue that we've seen. You've seen them now go fire 
their manager in order to make themselves better, to get themselves to the next step. Put it all together in one offseason, please. Put everything together, get the job done the way it's supposed to be done, and roll into opening day with everybody excited because we don't have a theoretical question mark at two, three different positions and play this game that we did this year. And that game I'm talking about is if we catch these breaks, we'll be good. And Pete Hand has said this a few times, make your own luck. And I agree with that completely. And that's where I'm going with this is that the the Sox have, have waited around so long waiting for breaks to happen. And I feel like they caught lightning in the bottle with 2005. And we'll talk about that over and over again as White Sox fans, where everything just happened to work. There was no sustained success behind it. Obviously, we know what happened in 06. That team should have been a playoff team. But you didn't have the pieces that you do right now available, signed, locked down, long-term, to, to, to just play around with this and say, okay, let's hope we catch lightning in a bottle again over the next four years. If we really want to do what Rick Hahn has been saying since day one of this rebuild and, and get that quote-unquote sustained success, now is the opportunity to actually put all the pieces together and then go from there and make your own luck like Pete Hand talks about. I have nothing further to add. You nailed it right on the head. I was going to reference Pete's quote because uh, so so I think we're on the same page there very much. I mean, it's it's so true. I mean, there's there's no walking around that. If you mail it in with this managerial decision and, and don't execute in free agency, and I'm not saying you have to go out there and and sign somebody to a three hundred million dollar contract. That's not what I'm getting at. There are ways to fill holes on this team and make this team an absolute juggernaut in the AL Central for the next three years without absolutely going overboard. The money is there to be spent, and I know that's a that's a hot term right there for White Sox fans, but there is money to be spent. There are options that you have to make this team better, and at the very least, Sustain what you had this year while still filling gaps. And if you have to rely on a little bit of luck, at least close two or three of these question marks so that your little bit of luck is maybe your fifth starter. Because I think most teams in the league have problems at four and five through the rotation. It's a whole different story when you're talking about two guys in your lineup who are automatic outs and no nothing past your second starter is reliable on a consistent basis. There is depth to be added. These aren't going to be hard problems to solve, Steve. And where do we go from here? I think it starts with locking down whoever that premier manager is out there, and you go from there. Yeah, I agree. That's that's pretty spot on right there. I know we're getting to the point of the quote unquote off season where we're going to kind of be breaking down potential targets. And I know I wrote about 2,700 words in the last uh, day or two on potential targets for right field, both on the free agent and trade front that uh, people are going to be seeing over at on tap sports here in the next couple of weeks. So 
we got a lot of time to kind of dissect all that. But like you said, look, the the first piece of this puzzle is going to be fill in that managerial seat. And then from there, figure out who is going to be taking Don Cooper's spot as a pitching coach. And then we work, we work from there and, you know, let's get that first piece in place and then let's go, baby. Absolutely agree. Before we close up shop here, Steve, I want to get to a few other things that Rick Hahn said during this media session, because outside of the managerial stuff, there was also a lot to unpack um, questions that, that Sox fans have had since the last game of the season. Obviously, this is the first time we've heard Han talk. Um, just a few bullet points, and we'll roll through some of them. Uh, the question that's been on everybody's mind, uh, first and foremost, is around Garrett Crochet. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't say that he was just the surprise of the season when it comes to the bullpen and the pitching staff. Bringing him up when they did and watching him throw this year was a complete joy and might be one of my favorite moments that I've had is seeing his debut and him just, just throwing absolute fucking smoke. Um, we all know around here that's cool and tough. And uh, I wasn't a fan of Garrett Crochet at the time he was drafted. Um, not a, I, I shouldn't say I wasn't a fan of him. I wasn't a fan of the pick. I felt like there were some other options that the White Sox could have went to. However, I've changed my tune. I've been proven wrong. Watching him on the mound, he absolutely looks like he has the stuff uh, to put it together and have a very successful career at the big leagues. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about it earlier in the show, uh, and I think Sox fans are going to be haunted by that game three up until we see this team play baseball again. Garrett Crochet coming out, velocity dip. Uh, you're, you're just thinking in the back of your mind, I'm not going to see this kid pitch for another two years uh, because we're so conditioned to that uh, throughout this rebuild. Uh, it, it, it sounds like, with Rick Hahn saying that he is dealing with just a flexor strain, has a clean UCL, the Sox expect him to feel fine in a matter of weeks. Um, you've got to be breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief. I know we're not completely out of the woods here, Steve, uh, but you've got to be breathing a little bit easier when it comes to thinking about Garrett Crochet and, and what he could mean to the 2020 or the 21 team here. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly that was um, definitely positive news to get on Crochet. I think the fear with that is something that we saw with both Dane Dunning and Jimmy Lambert, a couple of guys who went down with, forearm issues you know dunnings started in july of 2018 i remember i actually went down and i saw the barons play down in birmingham for for a weekend in july of 18 and the week before i got there is is when he hurt his forearm initially and he was shut down for the year put on a throwing program and then get to spring training in in 2019 and about seven to ten days into camp he's shut down again and then a week later comes out that he has to have Tommy John surgery, you know, and it was almost a very similar story with Jimmy Lambert as well. And this is something that is unfortunately pretty common at this point throughout the game of baseball. So, you know, I think we're all going to kind of be collectively holding our breaths with Garrett Crochet up until we get to spring training up until we get to Glendale and, and see kind of how those first couple of bullpen sessions go. And assuming he's able to get into exhibition games in the cactus league without any hiccups, I think until that happens, there's always going to be kind of that little seed of doubt in the back of everyone's mind is, are we dealing with a ticking time bomb inside that left arm? 
I mean, most pitchers at this point in time, Steve, uh, in the major leagues, I think everybody's a ticking time bomb. Um, whether or not it's it's Tommy John or or something else, um, you know, just uh, throwing a baseball is not exactly the uh, the most kind to a body in, in any way, shape, or form from an, an athlete standpoint. So that said, there has been injury history with Garrett Crochet. We've now seen a velocity dip. So, yes, uh, the, that is still going to remain present. We obviously haven't seen Michael Kopech in action since his Tommy John. So we don't know how this is going to affect his career long term. Uh, we can only wish for the best. Um, you know, part of me sits here and says, like, okay, well, for the 22 White Sox, it's best if Garrett Crochet had his Tommy John last week. You know, so there, there, there's that st- there's that thought standpoint because you don't want to see a, a talent like that on the shelf in the middle of your competitive window. That that's number one. However, I do think that Garrett Crochet, after seeing him on the mound, he's just an absolute monster. I mean, you're talking about a velocity dip with a guy who's throwing 99 miles an hour. So you know, in his first playoff game. So th- th- there's a lot to dissect there and kind kind of think about he was still effective uh when he was throwing however the 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 troubling signs would be if he came out again and you saw him throwing 95 and and below that that then we'd be having i think a little bit more doubt at least me personally um because you're losing five six miles an hour on a fastball that's not great um but I'm I'm all for the caution that they took with this kid uh, in bringing him out. It just happened to be at the worst possible time for him to exit a ball game. But that said, I'll take the positive update there. We'll move on to another one. Nick Madrigal had surgery on his left shoulder, uh, five to six month recovery. Uh, Daryl Van Schoen tweeted out that he might not be ready for the start of spring training. Uh, potentially on a rehab program at that point in time, I still think. He probably starts the season uh, with the White Sox, if not on a rehab assignment for a week or two. Uh, nothing really major there. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Nick Madrigal and, and whether or not this injury kind of had an impact on his play over the over the final course of the season here, Steve? Well, I would think that a shoulder injury, uh, particularly one that necessitated a stint on the injured list for a couple of weeks, has to have some type of lingering effects. I mean, as someone that wasn't a hitter uh, for the majority of my my time playing, you know, being almost strictly a pitcher from the time I was like 13, 14 years old, I, I would still think there's got to be some lingering effects associated with that. So to be able to get that cleaned up um, probably would be good for him, obviously. And, you know, as it relates to his position, whether or not he's going to be ready for the start of spring training or for the start of the season, I think that's where, uh, tr- you know, doing the work around the edges of this roster and, and having a lot of positional flexibility, which is something I'm going to talk about in, in a lot of my off-season pieces here, um, I think it's going to be very important. That's where I think a guy like a Brad Miller or a Jerickson Profar, guys that can play multiple different positions so that if Madrigal isn't ready to start the season, having proven major league quality players on the roster to fill in those spots 
will be of the utmost importance instead of relying on a Danny Mendick. Um, you know, that's where I think it's going to be essential that Rick Hahn and, and the rest of the front office staff have a good plan in place should Magical not be ready. Because again, this is like what Pete talked about and what we talked about earlier, make your luck. Don't just sit back and hope that everything goes perfectly. Couldn't have uh, tied that one up better. Uh, another one uh, that we talk about uh, is Andrew Vaughn here, and he was brought up by Rick Hahn today as well. Um, here's a tweet from uh, from James Fegan over at The Athletic. Rick Hahn said it's fair to think of Andrew Vaughn in the same way they thought of Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal at the end of last season or Eloy Jimenez after 2018. They expect him to contribute at first base DH in the majors for a bulk of 2021. I think that there's a few different things to unpack there. Number one, that being, I believe the Sox will part ways with Edwin Encarnacion um, and, uh, and and kind of use uh, Andrew Vaughn in, in the same role that they used uh, Encarnacion this year. So you can expect, uh, I don't, I don't want to go out there and say we're going to get a full season of baseball next year, but should we? Uh, 400 plus at bats for Andrew Vaughn at the major league level next year, I think seems pretty reasonable to me, Steve. What do you, what are your thoughts here? That certainly is the way it sounds. And, you know, by referencing a couple of guys, by referencing Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, those are two guys that had long-term contracts signed, allowing them to break camp with the major league team. Now, I think the one big difference between Vaughn and and those other two is the fact that Andrew Vaughn has never taken a plate appearance above high A ball. And I think to ask a guy, no matter how advanced you think he is as a hitter, to jump from A ball and not having a competitive season to the major, and then and then the following year to go to the major leagues, I think that's a pretty tall task right there personally. Um, so. I know I would feel a lot better if they afforded Andrew Vaughn some time to go down, whether it's to Birmingham or, or, or to Charlotte, to get some at-bats in game situations before thrusting him into the batter's box at 35th and Shields on a team that should be expected to win the American League Central. I can see that as well, and you obviously have um, Yasmani Grandal as well in this picture. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Sox do with uh, with James McCann, but you also have Zach Collins on this roster as well. I'm personally not comfortable seeing Zach Collins for a month on a team that's expected to win the AL Central either, Steve. Uh, so if, if Andrew Vaughn isn't your opening day uh, DH, uh, the Sox are going to need to do something. And you, you talk about adding another guy into the mix who's got that positional availability uh, to, to, to go around the infield or even the outfield. Uh, I, you know, For as much as, as Johnny loves Lurie Garcia, I don't want to see him be the DH either. I want a guy that's got the power in order to get the ball out of the stadium. Uh, but having that first month, being able to rotate guys in and out of that DH spot, give some guys a day off in the field, uh, obviously Jose Abreu, uh, could could use some time at DH. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, depending on how that foot feels. Um, and I would assume it should feel fine by the time we start there. That's another note from Rick Hahn. Uh, they did say that Eloy Jimenez dealing with that foot sprain uh, now that he has afforded the time off. 
he should be able to feel good within a couple of weeks. But th- there's plenty of guys that they could rotate in and out of there. Maybe that's a few extra starts for Adam Engel in the outfield. Who knows what they do with right field. But there will be plenty of options, I think, so to speak, with the White Sox uh, for that DH spot until you get Andrew Vaughn there. Um, we'll see if they lock him down to a long-term contract before this season starts. But I also agree with you. There was so much lost time this year for many of the minor leaguers within this White Sox organization where you should have seen them take those jumps from double A, triple A, or high A ball to double A to see what they can do. So there's a lot of question marks there. And that's not just a White Sox problem. That's all across baseball. So a lot of teams are going to be dealing with the same exact issues that the White Sox are uh, with some of their higher tier prospects. But you know, from what we saw with Andrew Vaughn, if you if we think back to some of the, the uh, not original spring training games, but before they started the season, you got a little taste of what Andrew Vaughn can do. He does look like a pure hitter. He does look like he can handle some major league pitching. I do want to see that become a consistent thing with him. It wasn't a large enough sample size for me to say, okay, I'm penciling this guy in day one of 21. And I think you agree with that statement. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, to your point, watching those exhibition games here um, before the start of the abbreviated season, he looked very comfortable in, yes. in the batter's box. And e- even even the games in Glendale that we got to see on, on TV, he didn't look overmatched in, in the batter's box. I know from having gone to spring training for four or five years now, sometimes you, you'll see a top prospect – get called up, you know, maybe a guy that's never played above high A ball. And the Sox have been pretty aggressive doing that um, in Cactus League games the last couple of years against actual major league pitching. And you'll see some of these prospects come up, and they will look overmatched. And that's to be expected. That wasn't really the case with Vaughn. You know, he was going there. He was working counts consistently, drawing and taking walks, um, and, and just looking like a guy that had a clearly defined plate approach up there, which is something that this organization desperately needs more of um, with a high level of consistency. And so he looks like a guy that's going to be able to bring that. But again, I, I just think it would be best served for the organization, for the 2021 team, and for Andrew Vaughn, most importantly, to allow him to get some additional seasoning down at either, like I said, whether it's double A or triple A, let him see some pitching in a true game situation before you thrust him in to the batter's box at 35th and Shields. Completely agree with that, Steve. Steve. I don't have much else. Is there anything else that uh, that I didn't cover from the Han presser that you want to talk about before we close this one now? No, look, I think we've hit on um, all the key major points here. Um, it's it's just it's an exciting day, and it's one that I know I wasn't anticipating us to have an emergency podcast here to talk about this decision today. I don't know about you, but I never in a million years did I think we were going to be having this call today. Neither did I. Uh, when I woke up, I knew we were going to get a Han presser. I thought most of this would be around, um, you know, just talking about the, the team, the injuries uh, to Garrett Crochet, maybe Eloy Jimenez, a uh, little bit of t- uh, questions about uh, where the Sox go with right field. Somewhat expected Rick Han to say, Nomar Mazar is still our guy. I didn't have anything 
that was talked about today, really on my Rick Hahn White Sox press conference bingo card. So I went home empty-handed, but happy nonetheless. Um, that said, Steve, it'll be interesting to follow this managerial search over the next weeks, months, however long it takes. Um, you know, we'll have all that coverage for everybody at ontapsportsnet.com, on Socks on Tap. Hopefully we're doing a few more of these shows. Uh, this was nice just in and of itself. I know the last time we talked, it was the final game of the season for the White Sox, and it's awesome to just get to talk about baseball, especially when the Sox aren't playing because it just puts me back in that happy place of thinking, talking, experiencing White Sox baseball with everybody that listens to the show, with you, Steve, with our guys, Buzz and Johnny. Um, I, I think Johnny's been like sleeping all day because nobody's heard from him at ONTAP, so I can't wait for him to wake up and look at his phone because he's going to be really shocked. Um, but that said, Steve, always a pleasure getting on the mic with you uh, talking about this type of stuff. And uh, thanks to everybody who tuned in today to just listen to our thoughts on uh, on what this team has done. Uh, Steve, anything else before, uh, before we close this out? No, you nailed it. I mean, let's just uh, let's do a let's do a wellness check on on Johnny. You know, maybe he's just still drowning his sorrows over the uh, decisions over the weekend on Corey Crawford and and Brandon Saad. I know that's a whole different discussion and, and everything here. So let's just make sure that he's okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to have one of these calls come up kind of out of nowhere and. Like you said, hopefully we get a couple more of these here in the coming weeks and months. Uh, before we close that down, I just saw a tweet from Bob Nightingale that the Chicago White Sox plan to reach out to Tony Larusa to become <laughs> to determine his interest in becoming the next manager of the White Sox. And I'm sorry Hard to drop that ass. on you <laughs> as we shut this down, but holy shit, there's a, a little bit of information. Hard. Pass. And that was given to me by Billy Raffeld. Uh I want to determine the validity of this. Um, he said, I guess it's an opinion. Bob doing some awful wording on Twitter. That w- Look, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, may- maybe what we should do is maybe we should reach out to um, not Bruce Levine for, for verification on that. All right. And that's how we close the show. Thanks, Billy. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, no, the, 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 the tweet is right there. I'm sure you can see it in the, uh, in the on tap chat, Chicago White Sox plan to reach out to Tony La Russa to determine his interest in becoming their next manager, uh, with his, with his article opinion, believe it or not, hall of famer, Tony La Russa could be the next White Sox manager. Um, things are going to be very fluid around here over the next, that would weeks. be, that would be so White Sox if they brought a guy back that they fired 35 years ago. Well, and there you have it. Like I said a little bit ago, uh, let, let's finish this puzzle before we, uh, before we claim any victories. That said, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature podcasting needs. Uh, crack them for Don Cooper uh, in his tenure with the White Sox. That's my last point that I wanted to get out here. Uh, regardless of how you feel about current day Don, uh, he is a huge part of what this organization is and has been uh, good and bad. Um, just I, I wanted to say uh, personally, uh, it was uh, 
it was awesome watching Don Cooper over the years. He provided plenty of entertainment, plenty of sarcastic picks to click. I'm going to miss that. Uh, so I will crack him for Don Cooper and his tenure with the White Sox. Steve, like I said before, always a pleasure. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. Are you a sports card collector? Are you looking to buy or sell your vintage cards? If so, contact Josh over at Midwest Vintage Cards. With over 25 years of experience in the field, Midwest Vintage Cards will pay you cash for your collection. Check out their eBay store by searching Midwest Vintage Cards or follow them on Instagram at Midwest Vintage Cards. Contact Josh at 847-602-8604 or email him at josh at midwestvintagecards.com to get your quote today.